In November 2022, the World Health Organization renamed monkeypox to Mpox. This was in order to fight stigmatization surrounding the name. Combating shame and stigma surrounding Mpox is one of the primary goals of this series. As this was recorded prior to this change, this episode will feature references to the original name. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm often amazed when I see documents that are talking about monkeypox that don't say the word sex in them because it just seems weird. You know, saying fetish gear, calling body parts what people call We that. went to Folsom Street Fair in San Francisco. It's not just about Broadway shows. Gay, bisexual, they're men who have sex with men. It's also about their sexual lives. Imagine Chris Whitty, COVID slides extraordinaire, talking like this. Well, that's Dr. Dimitri Daskalakis. He's basically the Chris Whitty of monkeypox in the US. Slides and White House press conferences and all. And unlike the very British toe-stepping around sex, he is not shying away from talking about the hot details in his slides. There has been a huge call to action from activists and experts for our own UK government to step up and designate someone to be in charge of the monkeypox response. And as we covered in last week's rapid response episode, the actions they're taking in not procuring additional vaccines is sending out the message that dealing with monkeypox is not high on the UK government's list. Well, in the States, there has been a similar call to action. Except there, it's being met. President Joe Biden and the White House have created a team to directly respond to the outbreak. And this week, we're going to be talking to someone who is at the front of the operation and asking him just what the pox is going on in America. It is temporary. Above all else, that is what I remember that got me through it. We need to make sure that gay and bisexual men have access to the vaccine. What I'm seeing a lot in the media are quite stigmatizing messages. If people were always you know, doing exactly the right thing, then there'd be no STIs ever in the world. It does beg the question, if this was affecting heterosexual white people, maybe wouldn't be in this situation potentially. It is the job of a sexual health doctor, of an infectious disease doctor, to give people the ability to have the type of sex that they like with as low a risk as possible of infectious disease. Welcome back to What the Pox, the podcast talking about monkeypox without shame or stigma, and looking at the wider response and what this means for LGBTQIA people. During this outbreak, the USA has seen huge numbers of the virus with New York seen at one point as the epicenter of the Global North's outbreak. In early 2022, 
Joe Biden announced that he had built a team to lead his monkeypox response. So as of September 29th, 2022, uh, monkeypox, um, we, we've seen over 25,000 cases in the United States. That's Dr. Dimitri Daskalakis, an infectious disease doctor who runs the Division of HIV Prevention at CDC, and now the Deputy Coordinator for the White House National Monkeypox Response. Notably, what we're seeing is a deceleration in, in new cases. So that what I mean by that is that we're seeing new cases, the curve is going down. And when you look at that specifically, the curve is going down in most of the large jurisdictions that are the, the sort of biggest players in monkeypox right now. We are also seeing, um, however, some pretty significant inequities in the decline in monkeypox that we're seeing. So we continue to see that the outbreak is being concentrated among black and brown individuals. So black, African-American, and Hispanic folks represent majority of cases. And so the flip side of that is that though we are seeing uptake of vaccine increasing with over 80, 800,000 doses in people's arms, the majority of people that are getting the vaccine are white. And so there's that disconnect between the cases um, as well as vaccines. So we're doing a lot of things in overdrive to make sure that we improve equity in terms of vaccine um, distribution and administration. Sounds pretty good, right? The USA is taking real action. It's taking monkeypox pretty seriously. This game changer appointment is a big deal. First off, because Dr. Dimitri is a gay man. And as we know, this outbreak of monkeypox is primarily affecting gay, bisexual, and men who have sex with men. So he gets gays. And specifically, gay sex. And talks about it like we do instead of with slightly odd medical terms. He also has a colorful and inherently queer past because he used to do sexual health outreach off his own back when those who could have been doing it weren't. So I'll start by saying, like, I, I can't really toot my horn. It's not necessarily like that groundbreaking to say it's if you put things closer to where people are in places that they like, they're more likely to take you up on it. But I'll tell you some of the work that I did in the past. So, I mean, this really started for me um, when I moved uh, back to New York after I did training in Boston and I started an HIV and sexually transmitted infection program that was based in bathhouses in New York City. And I did that because of one very famous case of HIV acquisition with multi-drug resistance. Um, and a lot of the data eventually showed that it was acquired in one of the bathhouses in New York. And so it became, it, it sort of dawned on me like, well, if that's where risk is happening, that's where prevention should happen too not grounds for a MacArthur Genius Award. And so I started doing that and uh, really started by a couple of um, HIV tests in my backpack and lots of late nights and found a really high percentage of people had undiagnosed HIV. And what I also learned there is that they were um, often folks who had immigration issues, who were black or brown, who just didn't sort of have that, that, that sort of uh, confidence in a healthcare system to be able to present for, uh, for the services. I was doing that work and then a meningitis out Break hit New York City, and um, I said, we should probably be putting vaccines close to where the people are. And so using the network that I already had developed at, um, at these clubs and all of the sort of long-term connections I've had in nightlife in New York, being a club kid from the 90s, um, I ultimately just talked to people and we started doing vaccines. And ultimately we did about like just under 3,000 vaccines um, in these commercial sex venues and clubs and bars and all of that. You know, and, and you know, part of that was attributed along with the work that happened in healthcare to really bringing that outbreak under control. 
His work has been pretty groundbreaking, leading loads of conversations, like ones about pronouns, which back in 2015, only a year after Caitlyn Jenner came out, was pretty striking. People living in the HIV universe is sort of 101. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, we know you should make sure that you know the pronoun that someone yeah. wants to be addressed by. Um, I think that that's not necessarily what happens in general care out there. Yeah. And this has built him at quite the fan base in the queer community, with folks such as famous drag race queens sharing their love for his work. Dr. Demetre, my name is Asia O'Hara from Dallas, Texas. And on behalf of gay communities all around the world, I want to thank you for not only changing lives, enriching lives, but most importantly, saving lives. Dr. Feel Good, listen, you are doing the Lord's work, and we're so grateful that all, all the lovely things you're doing for our community, boo. So with a history of serving the community in this way, he's now using those lessons that he's learned and applying them to the monkeypox outbreak. So I think that, you know, our safer sex guidance that came out in the U.S. like at the very end of May, beginning of June, was some of the most frank guidance that's come out of domestic public health in this space. So sort of, you know, using words that sometimes we haven't been able to use. So things like, you know, saying fetish gear, calling body parts what people call them, and that the, that the precedent set by this is 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 important and that um, you know what we found is that this communication has been more effective because we're starting from a place of you know frankly a bit of fearlessness of really using frank language that speaks to the folks that we need to get it to so you know i think i think that yeah there is definitely a challenge because um some people are shy talking about sex i, I i'm often amazed when i see documents that are talking about monkeypox that don't say the word sex in them because it just seems weird and so i think that we've made a lot of headway in terms of, of being able to, uh, you know, clearly discuss the exposures that increase the risk of monkeypox and put it in terms that communities overrepresented in this outbreak actually like respond to and understand. And that's exactly the language Dr. Dimitri has persuaded the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to use. The advice they sent us, which we've put a link to in the show notes, talks about buttholes, anal, oral, fetish gear, can you imagine anything official from the NHS or UK government talking about your leather harness? <laughs> I think not. Of course, for that very reason, Dr. Dimitri's approach, which he says has been more effective than using medical language, has been fodder for clickbait and right-wing press. This guy is, in, is, is is what I would consider probably more ground zero for monkeypox, maybe a super spreader. I don't know. He's all about living the sexual and perverse lifestyle. He's like, what am I all about? I got the village people black strappy thing and he's posting it on Instagram. Yeah. If I was to Google Dr. Dimitri's name to get to the really helpful information, I'm going to have to scroll past the vast articles targeting him. You see, Dimitri is out, proud, and hugely sex positive. He's tattooed and is partial to a shirtless Insta selfie. And as anyone who identifies as queer will tell you, all of this makes him even more qualified to serve our community. Because, well, he's part of it. 
Yeah, you know, some people's heroes are other people's villains. So my job is just to make sure I'm the hero to the group that I'm here to serve. So I think that ultimately, you know, like I've never shied away from um, being who I am. And I, and thankfully, I don't have to now. So I think that um, if, if it speaks to the people who it needs to speak to, then that's great. Um, I'm pretty unapologetic uh, about my life. And, um, you know, mainly I, I think that the work speaks for itself. And as we work to get control this outbreak, I'm really enthusiastic that we're seeing such great, great, great progress. And I've got to say that my identity is a piece of what I've used to make sure that we're actually moving this in the right direction. And what direction is that? We have been advised by the WHO that while this outbreak is ongoing, we should limit our sexual activity. As Matthew Hodson told us in episode four, abstinence as a sexual health message only has a limited effect in the short term with few benefits in the long-term health response. So, can we get back to shagging as normal anytime soon? You know, so, so it's not just about Broadway shows. LGBT, gay, bisexual, they're men who have sex with men. It's also about their sexual lives, so I hear you. Um, so that's really an important thing. Um, and, you know, I think what we are, the advice, uh, at least in the U.S., has been framed that we're um, recommending that folks make some changes temporarily. And we've signaled that that, temp- that temporarily really means um, until a couple of weeks after they've gotten their second shot um, a vaccine. So, in, you know, I think ultimately it goes back into a harm reduction model. There's some people who are bungee jumpers and some people who are afraid of heights. So when you get to the other side of the vaccine, if your level of risk that you're willing to accept is very low, you may still some change some elements of your sex life. If, on the other hand, you're a bit less concerned, you may sort of return to your normal level of sexual activity. But after a couple of shots, we've at least maximized the force field of immunity that we can generate to protect you as you make those decisions. When we talk about gay, bisexual, men who have sex with men, sure, it is impacting us. But within our community, there are some who monkeypox is affecting at a much greater scale due to health inequalities. So I think, I think that, you know, and, and also I think there's an important piece of humility, which is I'm not the exact community right now um, that is being affected by this. And so we've done, so, so first I'll say yes. And, it, you know, I think it's a testament, I think, to this administration and to President Biden who brought me in here along with Bob Fenton to make sure that we sort of um, focus on equity and specifically on the health of, of gay, bisexual, other men who have sex with men and transgender folks. So I think that that's really uh, an important sort of, uh, statement from our highest leader. Um, but then I'll also say that the statement on our level is that we, we, are in engagement overdrive um, with populations um, that are overrepresented in the outbreak. And so I think that it's not just about um, about there being one voice, it's about there being uh, uh, the opportunity to use the privilege of our position in the White House to elevate multiple voices. So we've had great engagements here at the White House, most virtual um, with, uh, with LGBTQAI plus folks, specifically those of color. We connect um, with, um, we've connected with with faith-based organizations, we we really have a broad span that we're trying to reach to, and I think I think that that there's a humility in that. Um, in order to do community engagement, you actually have to have the community with you. Engaging with the community is so vital, but here in the UK, it feels like we are nowhere near this. As you know from this show, this is something that individual organizations are doing. But from a government level, the basics of providing a vaccine to anyone here in the UK doesn't 
even seem to be a priority. Surely government should be looking to the U.S. and taking their lead. So I think we have a history in the U.S. of whenever there's like a a, a big health challenge of, of the White House creating a sort of coordination unit. We exist as long as we need to exist. Um, and I think it really has been helpful. I think the agencies that um, that work in this space, so um, the, the health and human services agencies as well as the others have done a great job. But in terms of like just coordinating, making sure that we're more efficient and addressing some of the, sil- the silos and barriers, I think it tends to be helpful. But I think, you know, it's, it's it's, it's different strokes for different folks in terms of how they sort of model their responses. And so I can't really say that someone should model us. But so far, I think that what we're doing is, is, uh, is working really well. Listening to Dimitri talk about the U.S. response, it's pretty clear, especially when you compare it with everything we've learned up until this point about the U.K. response, which, as experts have said in episode three, has been scandalous. So... Does Dr. Dimitri think other countries should follow their lead? And could the monkeypox outbreak end? Or is it here to stay? That's after the break. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I think that we're responding using four pillars, and the first one is community engagement. President Biden's monkeypox lead, Dr. Dimitri Daskalakis. So really making sure that we're engaged with the people who are experiencing monkeypox or who are at risk for monkeypox. Everything else flows from that. The other three are testing, so really important to make sure that people can access testing. Um, the second one is, uh, is prevention. And I put that there broadly because there's a couple different kinds of prevention. One is vaccine, so that's really, really important. We've been working really hard to get more vaccine into people's arms, but also good messaging because the behavioral change that people are also having is also driving some of the decline that we're seeing in monkeypox. And then the last one is treatment. And so that's really um, looking at uh, Tecovirumab or T-pox, which is the uh, investigational drug in the United States that we're using to treat um, folks with monkeypox. So let's look at these three pillars. We know that we're being asked to limit sexual contacts as part of the prevention, at least for the time being. That's pillar one. Then there's community engagement. What has Dr. Dimitri learned from doing this for years with HIV treatment? One is really transparent information about the vaccine. So I'll start with that. So just today, 
September 30th, 2022, um, we just released um, a report that is our first report of how the vaccine is performing in the real world. And it's really good news um, that that individuals who've had the first shot of vaccine um, have a uh, 14-fold decrease in the chance of getting monkeypox. So that, for me, is our rallying cry that if that partial force field is good with dose one, that level 10 force field is the best. So we need to shoot for that second shot. So one is transparency of the data. Second is really getting vaccine to people rather than expecting people to come find vaccine. And so we had a lot of strategies to do that. Probably the uh, most exciting ones other than, you know, getting vaccines to clinical providers who see people who are at risk for monkeypox. What we've also done is create some really important equity strategies. Um, I like to think of them as one continuum, but they focus on different sizes of events or interventions. So we have provided a lot of vaccine to really big events in the U.S. that focus on gay, bisexual, other men who have sex with men and transgender or gender diverse folks. Um, and we're seeing really great uptake uh, of vaccine in these uh, in these non-traditional spaces like Pride events. We went to Folsom Street Fair in San Francisco. Okay, if you didn't know, Folsom Street Fair is one of the biggest fetish festivals in the world. People travel from all around the world to express themselves and wear a lot of leather. Which, in the heat, means it doesn't always stay on that long. If you get the picture. So yeah, Folsom equals a lot of sweaty gay sex. So Dr. Dimitri has got the US to acknowledge that this is the deal. And by going to places like it, where the sexually active queer, gay, and bi men who have sex with men are, and are doing it, you'll get the info and prevention tools in front of those who need it. Sex is going to happen whether you acknowledge it or not. So a government body heading there and taking action to help and support those communities is, well, it's quite groundbreaking. We all remember those daily public health updates from Chris Whitty during COVID. Could you imagine Chris standing up there talking about how they're sending teams to vaccinate at gay saunas and clubs with dark rooms? So if you think taking treatment directly to the folks that need it seems like a really logical move, well, Dr. Dimitri agrees with you. It's one of the tools he's using to try and get this outbreak under control. All of this really comes from the experience that you reach people that you can't reach in clinical places or even harder in public health spaces where you have to say, I'm a man who has sex with men who has multiple partners. Give me a vaccine. So if you put it closer to folks, either where risk is happening or where they're just having a good time and make it easier for them to get it, you're going to get people who you're not going to be able to reach the standard ways. You know, my mantra has always been that um, I, I can't I can't take it when people say that's a hard to reach population because the population is there, you just have to reach them. And so this is really um, sort of the lesson from like the work that I've done before working in, in governmental public health. And it's been the lesson in governmental public health. And now is my lesson sort of working on the, on the uh, response element that's at the White House. And when it comes to this treatment, we're talking about the other pillars. Testing. So ensuring people know whether or not they have monkeypox. And treatment. So in this case, vaccines. We heard a little bit earlier in episode two from virologist Joseph Osmondson 
about intradermal shots, where the vaccine doses are split into five to maximize the vaccine amounts. So the United States federal government has just advocated a policy. Uh, it's called dose stretching, where instead of doing one sub subcutaneous dose with the whole vial, you can use a smaller amount, a fifth of the vaccine in what's called an intradermal shot. There has been a lot of chat about this. So how does it help make the best of the supplies that are available? It's kind of hard to sort of wrap your head around, but it's not really a fifth of the dose. It's like the correct dose for intradermal. So um, in other words, like there are other vaccines that have that have been studied um, in the sort of either either like beneath the skin or subcutaneous way or the intradermal way. And um, generally the dose for the intradermal vaccine always tends to be a, a less amount of, of vaccine. So, um, you know, based on on laboratory based studies, which is really what we've got for monkeypox vaccine in general, um, the subcutaneous way of giving the vaccine in the intradermal look to have equivalent levels of immune response based on what we know in the lab. I had to translate studies out of Ger in, um, from German to English, and they're available if people want to see them. But we, we, we looked at all of those data, and the decision was made that to, to get more out of our vials, we would extend to intradermal. So just quickly, skin has two layers, one that is called skin and another that is called the subcutaneous layer. So intradermal means it goes into your skin, so not as deep, which is why it might be done at an angle instead of 90 degrees into your arm. So the way the intradermal dosing works, same schedule as this as the subcutaneous dosing. So shot on day on day zero, then then 28 days later, uh, the second shot is what's recommended. Okay, subcutaneous and intradermal, big words and slightly confusing for many of us. Joseph Osmondson broke this down for me. Uh, the vaccine is typically given what's called subcutaneous. So the needle goes into um, the fatty layer under the skin, usually in the back of the arm or on some of us in our belly fat or on the hips or thighs, right? Anywhere you have this little layer of fat under the skin. That layer of fat does not have a huge number of immune cells. So that's subcutaneous. But intradermal, which is what the USA is currently using, differs slightly. The idea is right at the layer of your skin, you have a huge number of immune cells because you know your skin is essentially where the inside of your body meets the outside. It's meeting pathogens all the time. The idea is because there's so many immune cells there, if you just poke the needle a little bit into the skin and put fluid in the just the tiny layer of the skin, uh, there's a stronger immune response, so you need less vaccine. And this is called intradermal. So this is allowing them to stretch the doses out. And there are even studies ongoing to see if they can stretch this further while still maintaining the effectiveness. Additionally, the CDC is doing, uh, has a whole battery of studies looking at real world vaccine effectiveness. Um, and um, the first study just came out today um, that shows that 14 fold decrease um, in early data um, for monkeypox acquisition for people who were vaccinated versus those who weren't. And in the US, where you usually have to pay for healthcare, most of the vaccinating and some medication is being given free at the point of access through federal funds. 
So this vaccine is provided by the federal government, so it's uh, free of charge. Um, there are some places that um, if you have insurance, they may charge what's called a vaccination administration fee. But many of the places um, that give the vaccine out right now that are more public health oriented, they don't do that. And so um, there's there are, are folks who may get um, charged for vaccine, usually to their insurance. For uninsured folks, there are there are ways for them to get vaccine. Same for T-Pox. T-Pox um, is, is, uh, is out of government stores and um, there's no charge for the medication. The other treatment available is T-Pox or Tecavirumab. We heard in an earlier episode from Trevo about the difficulties surrounding access to this. We do have enough T-Pox for, for, to treat people. It's just not being released because it's only affecting a small community. With the White House now taking action on monkeypox, is this now more accessible? So T-Pox um, in the U.S. is uh, also called Tecovirumab, is approved for smallpox, but it's not approved for monkeypox, which means that it's treated as an investigational drug. This one specifically has something that's called an expanded access investigational new drug protocol, E-A-I-N-D. So um, that jargon means that people can fill out forms, uh, physicians can fill out forms, and then they can access the drug. So when this started, the forums took about two hours for, for clinicians to complete. And I can imagine the clinicians in the UK are not different than clinicians in the US. Two hours is like a lot of patients, so they don't have a lot of time to do that. So based on that feedback, the CDC that runs this, uh, this protocol reduced the paperwork to about 21 minutes of paperwork. Alongside this, the U.S. has positioned around 50,000 doses around the country that has made things a lot easier. They've also just started a new study because although we know that T-Pox is safe, they need to now prove its effectiveness. However, like the U.K., the U.S. is being cautious about the distribution. The Food and Drug Administration put out a uh, alert that um, that there's concern that resistance to T-pox um, can happen and that it may not be hard so hard to get. So the guidance around who gets T-pox isn't as strict as what you've implied in the UK that you have to be very, very sick, but it is reserved for people with more severe disease. That includes people with rectal symptoms. So it's about 51% of people have those. So it's still a, a vast majority of humans um, can still um, access this, um, as well as individuals who have risk factors in their baseline health that may make it more likely for them to have severe monkeypox, even if they're not experiencing it right now. And so that includes people living with a HIV, and a host of other conditions that reduce your immune system. With the White House now taking action on monkeypox, has it been a success? I think we have successes in, in doing something in the U.S. that's been hard, which is um, really creating flexibility in some of, of, our, of, our, of our federal funding. So we've created flexibility in CDC funding. We've created uh, flexibility in our um, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration funding. We've created flexibility in Ryan White, which serve people living with HIV. That really lets people leverage resources to be able to do monkeypox, even if it's not monkeypox-specific money. They have also now identified a factory that is based in the US and signed a new contract to do what is known as fill and finish, which is essentially getting the vaccine that they have into vials so that they can be distributed. So when you combine that with the work of using intradermal dosing, 
it's looking really positive. It's a space to watch still, but the work that we're doing in equity, and we talked about it already, that is like a shift and trying to sort of move the vaccine strategy uh, to really bring it, bring the vaccines to people as opposed to have expect that they're going to find them out of some self-motivated effort um, is really important. And I think, um, you know, there's more to come. It's important to know this isn't solved yet. And not everything has been smooth running. You know, supply we fixed. We really need to make sure that we are building confidence in vaccination, the system that vaccinates and the vaccinators. So that is like one of those strategies and one of those challenges that we, we have all the time with other other uh, diseases and other vaccines. I think also, um, you know, there's um, the need to sort of move vaccine fast enough because also the behavioral changes that people are making aren't going to last. And so they have definitely been important in reducing monkeypox. Um, uh, cases, but I think that we we have a lot of work to do in that space. And similar to what we've heard about the UK not ordering additional vaccines due to value for money, there is still work to be done in the USA from a financial point of view. There was a, a supplemental request sent to a Congress in the US and they didn't approve money for monkeypox. And so we're going to really need to keep knocking on that door because those resources are important because this is not a short game. This is a long game to make sure that we uh, don't make monkeypox a part of our everyday in the US anymore. So time to ask the US lead on monkeypox the ultimate question. Can this action end the monkeypox outbreak and eradicate it? From the US. So, you know, my, I, I'm cautiously and guardedly optimistic um, because I think that we are going to be able to get the outbreak under great control. My hope is that we get it to a place where it's not a part of our daily thinking or daily lives, but that's a long game. Like it's not something that's going to happen in a week or a month. Um, it's, it's a longer game that requires us to really get to the populations who need vaccinated and really do the research so we understand um, if there are animal reservoirs for monkeypox so we can really uh, calibrate what our, our goals and response are. Um, so I think, you know, I'm optimistic that we're going to get out of the sort of big outbreak zone that will like, will look more like small clusters that pop up. Hopefully some of them will be easier to manage because there'll be a, again, bigger force field of immunity in the population. But also, um, if it sort of is in other populations, we may have an easier time to do our, case finding and, and post-exposure prophylaxis vaccination. So guardedly optimistic. Um, and no matter how optimistic I am, it's a long game, not a short game. It's going to take time. And this long game, it involves more than just us. Every country will need to step up, not just for themselves, but also for countries where this has been endemic for years. The ones who can't afford the resources to end their outbreaks. Every challenge brings us closer to the light in terms of what needs to happen to recognize that we're a global community. So I think that really um, it, it sort of speaks to the fact that preparedness is important. But I'm going to sort of take my sort of perspective as someone who does sort of HIV, STI work all the time. That This definitely, I think, demonstrates how important the, the infectious disease infrastructure of HIV and STI really is. Because so much of the COVID response and so much of the monkeypox response has actually leveraged this. So it really speaks to the need to actually support HIV and STI and infectious disease infrastructure so that we can keep our global system warm for when we have our next challenge. Because it's a lot easier to go from warm to hot than from frozen to hot. 
So that's, that's sort of what my lesson has been. And I think, I hope resonates um, globally as well, that we, we know how to do this. And it's about making sure that we resource the, uh, the infrastructure that we have, because we don't have to recreate the wheel. We just have to make sure that what we've got is optimal. So with his work in HIV treatment, community outreach, and now monkeypox, as well as being part of a government's direct response, what has Dr. Dimitri learned? When public health and government listen to community and, and the silos are gone and like the lines are blurred in that we're all doing work in the same direction, we seek success. And so I think that this is just a lesson for us in the future. And like, I can't speak any more highly of the community of gay, bisexual, other men who have sex with men and gender diverse individuals who really took it upon themselves to uh, make sure that their their uh, siblings were aware of how to prevent this infection, magnifying some of the messages that government made, but also putting them in terms that made even more sense. So it just makes me proud to be a part of the community. And uh, again, um, when, you're, when your experience with public health has been forged by fire, it makes you really strong. And so seeing what happens when public health could work closely with the community is inspiring and I think um, should be a model for the rest of the world. With thanks to Dr. Dimitri Daskalakis, the Deputy Coordinator for the White House's National Monkeypox Response. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Martin Joseph, and executive produced by Jamie Wareham. What the Pox is a Queer AF production. Queer AF is a community interest company working to support creatives like me to build and grow thriving media careers while creating quality queer content that counts. If you found this show interesting or useful, that's really great. Can you do us a favor and tell people that? One great way to do this is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Plus... Remember to visit wearequeeraf.com forward slash whatthepox to see the rest of the series and our resources on monkeypox. We are Queer AF, and so are you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 